Come and welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com. Uh, we're really honored that you accepted our invitation. As we said, the AccidentalMuslims.com is about showcasing present and future leaders uh, in order to inspire people to live with purpose. As from the start, can you just bear with us? What? How do you view living with purpose? What? What's your? What's your purpose in life? Thank you for having me. Living with purpose is a very broad question. It tells me about, or it asks me to, to answer the question, what, what's my aim, what's my goal, what am I actually doing and why am I doing it? I think ultimately as a Muslim, our goal is our return to Allah and, and that He is pleased with us. So if I start to think of living with purpose, then it's how do I do anything in my life or everything in my life actually so that I can achieve that goal. So that becomes the purpose with which I want to live. And, and as you were growing up, was this something that you, you, you just naturally inclined yourself to? Was it family influences? Maybe tell us a bit about your family. So I, I don't think this is necessarily the way I always thought about things in life. Maybe if we go back and we start with where I came from or what I was doing. I, I, I'm, I'm one of four siblings and, and I grew up in, in Cape Town in, in violence. I have an older sister and then two younger siblings. My parents encouraged us to do lots of different things, encouraged us with our schoolwork, encouraged us with some extracurricular activities. But ultimately, there wasn't any forced direction of what we were supposed to be doing. Um, but there was always a sense of doing things with a purpose. So whether we were at school or whether it was an extracurricular activity or whether it was a sport or whether it was the scholar patrol at school, the idea from both my parents was that we did everything we did as well as we could do it and not for the purposes of competing with others but for the purposes of actually giving your best at everything. And, and I think the more time passed, the more it became about how much more can I do to actually give off of my best. Mm. And then gradually as I became involved in other activities and I became more conscious of, of the deen and, and serving Allah, then, then the two sort of started to merge. And that's where I think I started to really focus my purpose or, or, or really start to put, put more precision to that goal of actually serving. So, so when did you start becoming more conscious of Allah and Deen. So I started to realize that, so I remember the first, my first sort of like communications with Allah were about very, very tangible things. You know, for me at school, it was about Allah, you know, assist me with these exams, grant me better grades in this subject and that subject. And it, it became very much about the relationship with Allah, actually for the very basic kind of things that were kind of important to me at that stage. Um, and that happened maybe just towards the end of primary school and then going on to high school and and for at least for a few years it was in my opinion now a very superficial connection just about yes fulfilling some of the requirements of the deen but actually realizing the role of Allah and actually you know overseeing and, and doing everything or having control over everything so actually seeking his assistance in everything and that I would say happened you know Midway through high school, and then evolved. You mentioned uh, having whether it's a superficial connection or, or but just some connection and communication with Allah. Did your choice of profession and field of what you chose to study have? Did that connection dictate anything to you? To be honest, not actually at that stage. So, like I said, at that stage, I was. I I think I had a a, a fairly 
firm understanding that everything was in the power of Allah. So I would ask Allah for assistance with everything. But at that stage, I hadn't really realized or understood that everything that I did should have been directed by my by my relationship with Allah. Um, when I started to think about what I wanted to study, Alhamdulillah, I was doing very well at school. So it, it becomes a choice of selecting certain professions which are suitable for your current academic achievements. So um, there was a selection of a few. And, and I was more interested in doing something that, that I wouldn't be necessarily uh, needing to always depend on someone else. It would give me some form of independence. I'd be able to work independently. But also something that I'd be able to be, able to be of some help to people in society, I'd be able to have some meaning or some purpose uh, just in what I was doing. So even though it would be a, a good or a reliable profession, it would also have some purpose, I'd be able to feel some fulfillment out of it. And that's more along the line of how I got to choosing my degree. So, so the reason why I asked you about how did you gain that conscious of online deen, because and one of the reasons why we call calling this podcast Accidental Muslims is because I think we most of us are privileged to be born Muslims, and 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 hence the word accidental Muslims because we by accident were Muslims. So we actually want to turn it from being termed accidentally Muslims to purposefully Muslims. Well, what's what's your view on on that? Well, I I think um, like like you said, I mean, being born a Muslim, it's difficult to go back and look. When did you actually really start? to be more focused about being a Muslim, you know, we don't have that luxury of remembering that moment or that point when we actually were really that much more conscious than we were before. So I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a very good point. We actually just stumble along in our Islam as we're going along. And at certain points, I think different things click in our life. So at a certain point, I became more conscious of making salah. But at another point, I became more conscious of reading Quran. At another point, I became more conscious of actually understanding who Allah is and what His qualities are, and therefore what His role is in my life and, and what my role is to Allah in exchange. And so all of these happened at different points. It wasn't, you know, I woke up on a Tuesday and now yeah. I was going to be a purposeful Muslim. And, and like I said, that was very much an evolutionary process that happened you know, maybe through my high school period, and it, it's it's difficult to pinpoint exactly when things changed. Maybe it's useful to 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 tell our listeners what you do, uh, or what is your profession. Uh, uh, maybe that's, that would be a nice uh, nice thing to share. <laughs> so uh, I I studied medicine, and that qualified me as a medical doctor, and and I worked initially as everyone would understand as a medical doctor seeing patients, and then I I, I moved slightly different in, and I went more into health management side of things and currently I, I'm I'm in a position of a, a, a health manager. I manage a district or a region that looks at primary health care or environmental health. I, I oversee an area and all the services of health related services in that specific geographical area. So you don't practice no, medicine? No, so I haven't you know seen a patient or Diagnosed someone perhaps for about five or six years. Okay, maybe can you remember what it felt like uh, practicing as a medical practitioner and how long were you in it? Maybe just someone that's out there that's thinking of doing medicine from that perspective. Um, maybe just give them some sort of guidance in that regard. I, I personally think uh, 
the profession of medicine is, is an extremely beneficial profession to get into. Um, for anyone thinking about it, if they've got any inclination to it, I would say definitely get into it. For one, um, if it's not something that you particularly like, there are so many streams within it that very soon you could actually branch off into so many other avenues that still within the profession, you would be able to do something in it that you like. Um, seeing patients was a, was, a, was a really different experience for me. So um, I made a few different choices during my medical career and after qualifying. Um, I knew a lot about going elsewhere and getting experiences elsewhere, but for my family life and my family choices, I chose to stay in Cape Town. So I studied at University of Cape Town and then I did my internship in Cape Town, I did my community service in Cape Town, and I practiced for a few years in Cape Town. I did most of my work in informal areas, so in crossroads, in Pittenkailicha and Mitchell's Plain area, but in impoverished areas, informal settlements. And I found it really, really fulfilling to see patients. I was very fortunate in my early days I had two supervising doctors who happened to be furthering their studies. So they were planning on specializing as well. And so they trained me or they gave me guidance in actually doing my best for the patient in very, very trying and limited circumstances. And, and that gave me the opportunity to actually learn how to see patients, how to give them the best we could offer. And it was a very gratifying you know, a few years when I would interact with people and actually it was probably within this year that I met a, a, a patient who had last seen me at the clinic more than six years ago, but he recognized me from the clinic. He remembered me, he remembered an interaction we had. I, I, I don't remember him at all, but for me, it's still a gratifying experience because my 10 minute consultation on a day affected an individual so much so. When you started uh, uh, studying medicine, was there any expectations? Um, did you think that you would end up where you have ended up as a health manager, you said? Uh, or did you see yourself with a white coat and a stethoscope somewhere? Or, or something glamorous like the ER doctors, you know, George Clooney and all those sorts of things. Um, what sort of expectations did you have? So in my initial years, I didn't have expectations. So I, when I got into medicine, I wasn't... 100% convinced that was the right direction I was going into, but I, I thought this was something that could have benefit for me. And then as I progressed through the years, um, I started to enjoy it, and I started to particularly enjoy the internal medicine discipline within it. So uh, maybe by the time I was qualifying, I thought that, yes, I was going to specialize. I was going to do the next two mandatory years of internship and community service, but I was going to be back in the hospital taking a, a speciality training post, becoming a specialist, um, you know, and seeing patients. And I, and I thought that was where I was going to be. They say sometimes life is not only about the journey, but it's getting to a certain destination and the stops along the way. I know in a, in a previous conversation, you mentioned that you were doing some TV research. Uh, maybe share with us how that um, influenced your 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 purposeful living in terms of your profession or how did you take purpose out of it so, so i think my exposure to tuberculosis was a very very important uh, point in my career um, i moved to being a clinician focused on tuberculosis and hiv medicine so i was working in primary healthcare but i was seeing patients 
either with TB or maybe with HIV. And as I was doing this, it, it was an opportunity to see people and help people. And there was a lot of reward in it as well. But while I was doing that, I had the opportunity to get involved in a bit of research about it. So uh, small studies where I would look at what was happening with not just one patient, but with a group of patients. And how was an intervention that we were or weren't making, what was its impact on it? And that started to change my perspective from wanting to only work with individuals at, as a doctor-patient relationship to rather work more broadly with the public or the public health concern and then to look more broadly at how what we were doing um, as a collective, as a health system, how the interventions we were making were having an impact on people. And that's when I started looking at small studies initially, just looking at as a service, if this is what we do, what's the impact on it? And then if we make interventions, does the impact actually have, uh, does the intervention have an impact on, you know, the broader community? And that's taken my interest more towards public health and more research and interest in tuberculosis. Uh, that's interesting because, you know, I'm listening to you and I speak to a lot of my colleagues and, and some of them have this mid-career crisis where they come to a point and they're not sure they want to stay with what they're doing. Or, or carry on. I'm hearing you, you again, it also seems like you stumbled into this TB research um, and it kind of had a purposeful uh, influence on you. How did you, uh, or what advice would you give to people uh, in terms of um, self reevaluation? Because it seems as if that's something that you did once you had this exposure to TB, that you, you, you realized that you had certain skills, perhaps, and that you wanted to take this further. Uh, instead of one-on-one -on -one doctor patient sort of uh, consultation take it more broader I think you mentioned uh, what's your what's your opinion in that regard about self-evaluation so I think it's something that everyone should be doing constantly and I keep asking myself the question if this is what I'm doing right now you know am I doing my best at it mm -hmm. and if I'm doing my best at it is there more that I can contribute if I change the focus a little bit and that's what always tends to to shift my direction so when I'm doing something I, I keep asking myself you know can I do this better if I'm doing it to the best of my ability at the moment can I do something different can I change its direction its focus and then add more value the more I look at what value am I adding the more I'm able to see where I should be going and how I can change the, the purpose or the direction of what I'm doing so Mohammed, how would you describe yourself in Three words. Can I put you on the spot there? Yeah, that's, that's a difficult three words. Determined, reflective. I'd like to think insightful. I would like to add to that one. Insightful is something I can agree with my 10-year relationship with Muhammad. I, I think it's something that I, 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 I will, I'll, I'll rubber stamp that for you. I'll, I'll rubber stamp reflective as well. <laughs> so, so let's talk about MSA. I, I know I mean, we all, the three of us all so to some extent involved in the MSA. How did how were you involved? How did, how did you, you get introduced to the MSA? So the MSA is the Muslim Students Association. Yes. And I had an interesting, again, stumbling into the MSA. Um, I was at university, at the University of Cape Town, before it was formerly the MSA. It was run as an Islamic society. Um, and I had very limited interaction with it because I found myself quite busy with medical school and medical school was separate from the main campus. But the 
as an organization in addition to the regular Juma program that they had. They had one program which really, really touched my experience, which was a Thursday night halaqah that they organized where they reflected on Surah Kaf. So between my fifth and sixth year, there was a Thursday night um, session that they would conduct at the main campus. And this was just about reflections from the story of Surah Kaf. And, and I would attend that just as a normal other student and I enjoyed it and it, it, it helped me reflect more on what was doing and it gave me more of a link to my dean. But I, I continued as usual and, and finished my studies. And then I was now a qualified doctor and I found I had a lot more free time on my hands and alhamdulillah I found a group sitting together in the masjid and they were doing a similar exercise. They were reflecting on lessons from the Quran. So I started to I actually asked one of them if I could sit with them um, and then as I sat with them I enjoyed the lessons that were being reflected on and then I would often hear them talking about other meetings that they were having or gatherings they were getting to so again I didn't feel very shy I asked can I get involved can I come to your meetings can I see what you're organizing and that's how I firstly got introduced now not as a student but to the MSA and the student work they were doing and from there, I continued to participate as much as I could in any of the meetings or the activities they were having. And then I just continued to get more and more involved over the next five to eight years. The Halakha, when you were first introduced, how did you, how was your participation level? So originally, I, I didn't know what to expect. You know, someone told me this is what's happening and it would be lessons from Quran. And so I was kind of interested you know because they were reading the Arabic the Quran text as I was comfortable reading but then they were also looking at the meaning and and they people giving us a, a little bit more of a deeper insight as to what the meanings meant for people and how one could interact with it and at that stage I didn't really I wasn't really exposed to that before so I would read the Quran in the translation but I never thought of it beyond that and for those first two years when I was at campus I didn't I can't say that I really you know took those lessons myself or I actually tried to extract those lessons myself but I rather drew on what other people were reflecting on and, and I got into the habit then of actually asking myself that question each time I would come across a verse and its translation what does it mean for me and how does it actually relate to me and my life today tapping into your um, your reflective quality or trait looking at this halakha seeing the influence it had on you what do you think is the role a halakha has and what role does a halakha have for anybody out there that hasn't been involved in it? And secondly, um, what's, what's the importance of this halakha? What can, it, what can people achieve out of it, if I can put it that way? I think it's a, it's, a, it's a really, really pivotal instrument in an individual's life. I think during the, the same period of my life I, I attended many other classes so I attended uh, classes on a Thursday night at the masjid I attended classes with you know that were given as a dars by, by, by a sheikh or a scholar they, they explained lessons and you know, and and I think that's that's important for people wanting to acquire Islamic knowledge you go and you take it from a teacher but the halakha as I understood it was as, as I still understand it is not only about achieving Islamic knowledge but it's about translating knowledge into action it's about tying up the lessons that one can learn with a plan for implementation and that's why I think it's so important for individuals uh, you 
in, in, in a circle that's maybe not bigger than eight or ten people, you, you get to know individuals really, really well and, and build a sense of brotherhood between you and, and other brothers in Islam. You get to grow together, you get to see a lesson, and you get to derive that lesson from a scholar. It, so, so I'm not saying a halakha replaces scholarly learning, you know. So you, you learn Islamic knowledge in its proper context, but here with a group of people, you can actually now look at how can I implement this lesson? How can I can I make this real when when we read and when we learn about the verses of tahajjud we can go and learn the, the you know the nitty gritty and the rules of it from the scholars but you need a brother to help you and to remind you and to ask you know did you manage this week do you need an sms do you need and that sort of influence i don't think you can get except in this close knit circle of people and you mentioned brotherhood and and putting plans into action what was, can, can you share with us maybe one, one sort of action plan that you guys took, put into place out of the Halakha? I know specifically in about 2011, we hosted the, the uh, reviving the Islamic Spirit Conference, an exhibition at the Convention Center. Can you maybe take, take the listeners through how does an idea like that uh, get born? I think it's, it, it will be quite beneficial to, to, to many out there. So again, I think this is not the type of thing that I can put my finger on. It happened on this Saturday that the idea was born and a plan was jotted out. And it, but a very organic process really tends to happen in the, the the circle where we where we going through this process of reflecting. So uh, you've you've mentioned one program, uh, the reviving the Islamic conference or the Islamic exhibition that we had, but. Somewhere in our journey in the six months or the nine months preceding it, we will have reflected on verses, on making the public call of da'wah, on uh, extending the message of Islam, on, on creating unity in Islam, or about um, having balance in our activities. And, and as we start to reflect on those lessons, collectively as a group, there, there tends to be suggestions of how can we take this beyond this group of eight or nine of us sitting in a circle. How do we translate this into lessons that maybe the broader public can share? And and like you mentioned, we held a conference in 2011, uh, Reviving the Islamic Spirit, but it was entitled Striking the Balance. And at that stage, I think a lot of our discussions was about how did we find balance in our lives? How did we find balance between our work and our Islamic work, our family? And all those sort of questions that we were grappling with in the halaqa translated to points that we wanted to share more broadly with the public. So that's, you know, creates a spin-off where we now decide we want to have such an event. How do we make it possible? We look very practically at the logistics of it. You know, can we get a small budget together? Are there key uh, speakers, both locally and, and globally, who would have an impact on the community and be able to share this message? We make contact with them. We pull things together. And Alhamdulillah, that was a, it was, it was a beautiful experience. And I think maybe 500 or even more people came together over a weekend all to derive or share in this message. Um, and, and, and that was our objective at that stage. Brother Muhammad, I want to know, what, what is, I know it's a difficult question, but what is your favorite Quranic story or lesson? Quite honestly, I think it's different things at different times. Um, 
so very fond of the story in Surakaf of the young companions and and how they secluded themselves in the cave but also very fond of the story of Nabi Yusuf and and both at different times for different reasons and I think it it was about how not only how beautiful these stories were but how practical these stories were for me as an individual and how they helped me to be more active and more participative as a Muslim in my society and, and that's what maybe makes them Surah Kaf and Surah Yusuf Surah Kaf and Surah Yusuf Let's talk about your scholarship program in the USA How was that experience? Alhamdulillah that was a that was an excellent experience that I had. I had an opportunity to undertake or to study a, a master's degree over a period of one year uh, in New York. And it was, it was a really amazing experience in terms of the learning that I could do, but also in terms of my uh, personal growth as an individual in a society like the U.S. in our current time. I mean, this was in the year 2014 and 15 and was amidst you know islam as 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 a very very bad word in society islam with a very very negative public face and it was within that context that i went as some would say into the belly of the beast i went into the united states but it was the most ex- amazing experience um, in terms of learning and you stayed in new york I stayed in a small town just across the river from New York City and uh, traveled in and out daily for my studies. And so how, I mean, you, your name was Muhammad. <laughs> so how did, how, how did they approach it? I mean, especially in the town. I know it's a bit, a bit more lenient, they're more tolerant in the town as opposed to the cities. So, you know, from the onset, before even leaving, thinking about a visa application, thinking about actually going, I was very, very tentative. Like you say, my name is Muhammad, but I also have a, 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 an email address that says Muhammad bin Yusuf, and, and that maybe you know <laughs> just in, in, invites more criticism or, or, or more problems. But I, I can comfortably stay in, in, in a year in the United States, alhamdulillah, myself and my family, didn't experience one negative experience. I, I've got a, a fairly large beard. My wife is covered with a scarf. Um, I had family visit me with scarves, with beards, clearly an apparent Muslims, and never not once at the airport, at a train station, at, in a public setting at a university did I have any questions about it, except questions of interest about Islam. I had a non-Muslim neighbor who... In the, in the course of the year, asked me about being Muslim, asked me what being what halal food meant, and I didn't see anything except genuine interest in people about Islam. You you, you mentioned uh, that you were apprehensive going overseas first. How important it is to to break that sort of fear factor? I mean, in retrospect, you can say that you now had a lovely experience, but. Just tell us, how compelling was it to break that fear factor, or did you go there with this fear with you, before you made the decision? Because it, I'm sure there's lots of people out there that want to make, whether it's a family, getting married, a business, a occupation, a job, 
but I have this inherent fear, whether it's stereotypical fear or is it um, peer pressure, etc., etc. How did they get over this sort of fear, or maybe rather, how did you get over that uh, apprehension of yours? One of the approaches which which I'd grown up with, especially uh, you know, influenced a little bit from my father, was to uh, be willing to take things as they come, and then to accept that everything that comes, comes by the decree of Allah and, and that should make it easy to occur. So initially I applied for the scholarship, not hanging all my hopes and dreams that I had to go, but it, I, I applied for the scholarship and it was with the precondition that if I got an opportunity then I would run with it. And after that it was about applying for the funding that went associated with it and then it was about for applying the applying for the visa and then the travel arrangement and every step of the way it was constantly with if Allah has decreed this for me and wants this for me then it becomes easy for me and as I took one step and it was with ease it just becomes more comfortable to accept the ease that Allah is putting out there for me. Uh, at, at, yeah, at accidentalmuslims.com um, one of our ethos is, is that we believe that everybody has the potential to lead and it's not specifically just a leader on the high pedestal as a leader leading, but through action and conduct and even a decision that you make, that is actually leading and showing leadership. Would you agree with that sort of sentiment? Uh, because from what I'm hearing, what you're saying, that overcoming that fear, taking step by step, that's something that triggered in my mind. You know, this is the type of um, uh, stories that we want to unleash on our listeners. Um, how do you respond to something like that? No, absolutely. I, I think you, you spot on that, that leadership is not about only, you know, the most senior person leading the largest organization, but every one of us can be a leader in, 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 in many aspects of our lives. Um, so even when I was going on this journey or if I was doing this, I, I had a family to go along with me and how I spoke them through it or how comfortable I made them with the same decision is also about how I, I lead them. Uh, but I agree with you, you know, leadership extends well beyond just a single person in a large organization. How would you define success? Again, a very philosophical question. Um, mm -hmm. But I think ultimately, it, as, a, as a Muslim, we measure our success in terms of our return to Allah. So successful we will be if we return to Allah and Allah is pleased with us. And, and that is what I have in mind for my ultimate goal and, and what I'm aiming for. So if I achieve anything here and it contributes to that, then I view that as a successful endeavor. So ultimately, even if I'm praised by everyone in, in our society today, but it doesn't lead me to being satisfied with my goal of returning to Allah in a pleased condition, then that wouldn't be successful. So, so that for me is... I think we can add number four to that trait, now philosophical uh, to Muhammad's trait. <laughs> Muhammad, in, just touching on that, uh, as a person that found himself in a position of leadership, whether it's as a father, as a husband, or even just making this decision to go overseas to study, um, and even in your current position, What's the value of a mentor internship? You had two seniors that guided you or showed you what it was to specialize. So what value is there in mentorship? And, and I think um, mentorship is a, is a really important thing because it, 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 it takes away just 
you know, learning and then stepping into a role, but actually being guided into a position. And, and mentorship helps translate what we're learning or, you know, what's only a, a lesson in a book into how it can actually be inculcated into our lives and then become part of our practice. And like I said, I, I was fortunate to have some nice clinicians when I was doing training. But I think that I, I would view maybe perhaps my parents as some of the most important mentors that I've had. Um, my father, you know, strove to encourage me to do my best, but never told me what to do. He, he didn't suggest that I be a doctor or be a specialist. But whatever I was doing, he was making sure that I was happy that I'm putting my best forward. Um, my mother's encouragement was always about not competing with other people, but within yourself, you know, excelling at what you're doing. And when I was trying to, when I, I've got three kids now, but as, I, as I'm trying to guide them or rear them, my mother's always got tips of advice on how one can do things in a way, not necessarily that she thinks is better, but just as a way of me trying alternative things. And that helps me develop. And and I find both of their guidance was not about turning me into a particular person, but helping me become a person that I'm happy with. And that's something that I think a good mentor should be doing. It should be helping you unleash your own potential rather than theirs. You know, I'm just going back and thinking about career advice, and, and now you in this, you, know, you move from studying medicine to doing being a doctor to now managing a team. In terms of graduates out there, what 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 a, what career advice would you give them? You know, there's this passion word thrown around quite a, quite a bit. Follow your passion. Follow your passion. I think personally, you should follow your purpose, but also hard. How do you know what's your purpose? How do you know what's your passion? So do, do you have any advice for them? I think people should spend more time thinking about not only the immediate future, but a little bit more in terms of the medium to long term. So if, if, if like you say, people are just told to follow their passion exclusively, they're doing something that they're passionate about today. But anybody who's lived a reasonable amount of time knows that passions change. So how, how are you going to redirect that all the time? So I think if you can think about what you'd like to be doing today, but what you'd like to be doing in 10 years' time and what you'd like to be doing in 20 years' time, then you start to ask yourself the question of how can I link all three of those? You know, How do I take a step today that helps me reach this, the next step and the next step? And, and, and that, like you said, maybe comes back to people following their purpose. If they know over the next 30 years of my career, I'm just finishing school and I, I'm going to make a career choice now, but over the next 30 years, this is what I want to achieve, or that's where I want to be when I wake up at 50, then they sort of have a more more goal-directed approach and, and they have something to work towards. And today they choose a career that helps them step in the, in the right direction. So even, I think, young people who who today perhaps, you know, have a vision or, or, or an idea that they could wake up at some point in the future and lead our country, they could become the president. That doesn't mean you have to study political science today. It means you can take a career today that helps you become meaningful in society tomorrow, that helps you take the right steps to becoming a leader like that in our country. That's um, something which uh, I think many, uh, if you listen to many talk shows and many... Um, 
uh, empowerment thing. It's always talking about the, the potential leadership has. Uh, you mentioned now the, the youngsters out there, they can uh, take what to be meaningful, take a career and make it meaningful if they want to become president to whichever uh, position. What, what What's the challenges you faced in, in your careers? Because I'm sure people listening will think, you know, Muhammad has a rosy life here. But certainly there must have been challenges. And, and what do you think the challenges that our youth particularly, uh, and even adults, uh, parents particularly, face today in today's society? So I think those are somewhat different areas. So if you're saying what do youth or parents face in society, I mean, when people are thinking about their futures or their careers, um, it's easy to be bogged down by commitments that one sees. You know, how am I going to earn enough of a salary? How am I going to sustain my family? And those are things that can easily bog people down. So people get into a career or a profession because it's about paying bills at the end of the day. But again, if if we can, you know, come back to linking everything we do with the deen of Islam, if we, if we link it to our relationship with Allah, if we rely on Allah as a sustainer, then we... we it becomes easier for us to think about, you know, a career choice, not to pay a bill, but a career choice so that we can have purpose in society. And then by that, Allah creates a means just simply to give us a salary. So, you know, I think that's one of the challenges people face is how they're going to pay bills. But reliance on Allah is a better way. And, and it's ultimately much more satisfying to be completely reliant on Allah and, and then perform a function because it actually is more meaningful. So that then ties in almost with that theme of your RA is striking that balance uh, between professional and personal um, ambition and, and responsibility and obviously your link towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, and, and that's just the, and, and from what I heard you say earlier the halakha and, and your constant connection to Allah keeps and feeds that uh, balance I would assume in. I wasn't going to ask this question, but uh, earlier you, you, you kind of opened the door to it. Um, I came across a photo of yours many years ago, <laughs> or a few months ago, can't quite recall, where you, you didn't always have this beard which you described earlier. Um, I have a suspicion why you grow it, but you perhaps want to share that with us. Again, so my appearance is not supposed to be a marker of who I am, but it's it's was part of my evolution. I um, Perhaps I had one negative experience at school when, you know, experimenting with facial hair and growing a beard, but essentially never had a beard while I was at school. But the moment I got to university, um, society is more culturally accepting of people trying to grow a beard, and, and then it became part of my norm, and I, and I had a, a, a small or a, a short beard initially. And... Uh, with time, I chose to lengthen it because of my reading and my understanding of its importance in my life or, or its importance in a Muslim individual's life. And, and I, I grew it or I maintain it as a personal choice because I think it is my effort to resemble and inculcate the Sunnah in my life. Just one thing on balance, and Zaheer mentioned balance. How do you find the balance between work and, and personal life? And are you, like, how do you manage that? It, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge, and it was a challenge from the start, but it's also part of what informed my career choices earlier on. So when I finished internship and community service, I was left with the choice of going back to specialize. 
But what that meant was a lot of overtime, a lot of time away from the family, a lot of time in a hospital and a lot of time spent studying. And what I thought mostly about was, and in the initial stages of my marriage and the first few years of my children's lives, I wanted to be there more often. I wanted to be able to be at home while the sun still shone. I, I wanted not to be spending every moment chasing a career just because I needed to. And so early on, I made the choices of the spending time with the family. Um, and as time evolved, it became part of our routine as a family. So if I was able to get home at 5 or 5.30, it gave me more than enough time to sit with my kids and hear about what their day was like. It gave me time to drive them to school in the morning and actually hear what they were planning for for the day. And that, that for me was very, very important because it allowed me to contextualize my life. Yes, I want to have a successful career, but I also want children who, who, who know me and, and find my presence to be there all the time. So I think it was about understanding for myself what the important issues were and how I could afford each of them, you know, equal priority and thereby have a balance between them. So a difficult question again, but what's the one thing that you're really proud of? So one thing is again a <laughs> difficult thing because I can make it as broad as possible. But I think my, for me, the most meaningful thing was my um, involvement in, in Islamic work. So... Um, like I said, I wasn't naturally doing it when I was a student. And when I moved on from being a student to being a, a young professional, I saw some opportunities for it and I actually needed to ask to be included. But I look back and I think of those moments where it would have been easier to be shy and to remain excluded or not to ask. And I think about, you know, that moment and asking, can I be involved? actually translated from being involved as a participant to leaving an organization for a time period to, to championing certain events. And I think for me that's probably the most you know exciting experiences that I've had so far is my ability or my opportunities to get involved in Islamic work. So what's next for Muhammad in terms of career aspirations or career goals? Do you have any, any more... I haven't completely decided. Like I, I said with my earlier approach, I'm thinking about pursuing studies further, perhaps doing a doctorate in the next few years. Um, again, as the opportunities present themselves, if, if you know it is for me, it will be made easy, and, and I think that's a path that I'd like to take. Um, it give me the opportunity to really uh, concretize the the skills that I want to to be a researcher or an academic. And I think that's where I'd like to go. I have one more question. Um, let's say, hypothetically, this is your last day in your life and you only have enough energy to for, for probably two sentences. What would you tell your, your, your family, your wife and your children? Besides, obviously, the Quran and Sunnah is important. I think it's difficult to say besides with those things because I think that's where the message would be built around. It would be about, you know, 
making the best of what they have in front of them with their lives in the context of what the Quran and the Sunnah advises and actually becoming meaningful in society within the framework of the Quran and the Sunnah. So I think as individuals, as my family or as people that I would leave behind, I would want them to make an impact in society um, in the context of being good Muslims. Muhammad, it's been great having you here with us today. It's by no accident that you're here. It was meant for you to be here, to teach us, to share with us, and hopefully you can inspire our listeners and ourselves to live with purpose. Shukran, and we wish you and your family only the best, and keep us in your du'as, inshallah. Inshallah.